Bibles and turn back to John chapter 9, if you would. John chapter 9. It happened on July 31st, 2012 in India. It was the biggest blackout in world history. 600, get the, kind of get your mind around this, 670 million people all at once were out of power and sat in darkness. That's 22 out of the 28 states in India were in darkness at that time. Again, 9% of the entire world's population, that's what that equals. 38% of India's power grid went offline. For them to uh, make it so that it wouldn't happen again, it took $400 billion to revamp and update the power grid in India. As bad as that blackout was, it was nothing and is nothing in comparison to the spiritual blackout that takes place all over the world every single day. Over 2 billion people on our planet, 2 billion, have never, ever heard the name or the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 billion They are all in spiritual darkness. That's one out of every four people in the world doesn't know anything about Jesus, who he is, or his saving grace. They are in spiritual darkness. There is no light there. Listen to this. 500,000 villages alone in India, 500,000 of them have absolutely no Christian presence there. None. There are over 17,000, 17,400 to be exact, people groups in the world. 4,000 of them have less than a 2% Christian population. 500 of them have no Christians there at all. Staggering statistic. 70,000 people every single day of our lives die without Jesus Christ. Imagine if you woke up tomorrow morning... And before you went to work, you you listened into the news and you heard that not one, not ten, not one hundred, but three hundred airline passenger planes all crashed on the same day. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's a tragedy when we hear one story, one plane going down. Imagine three hundred planes going down and hearing the report that every single person on every single one of those planes, three hundred of them died. It would be on every news station, wouldn't it? It'd be on every radio broadcast, it'd be on the TV channels. I mean, everyone, absolutely everyone would be talking about it. That would be the only thing that people were three hundred airplanes, all full of people died. And then the crazy thing would be, what if you woke up the next day after hearing that and 300 more went down? And the next day, 300 more, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. That's how many people die without Jesus Christ every single day. But there is no power failure in the gospel. Romans 1.16 says that the gospel is the power of God into salvation. If there's so much power, why are so many people lost? So many people dying without Christ. The power failure isn't in the gospel. The power failure is in the church. You and me. 
Where is our urgency? Crashes are taking place all around us every day. People dying in darkness, blinded to the gospel. 2 Corinthians 4, 3 and 4 says, If our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ should shine unto them. I read a pastor, a quote by a pastor this week in preparation for today. And he said, at one point in my ministry, I thought about asking God why so many millions of people, unsaved people, died every day. But I decided not to ask him. And then he said, and you know why? Because I was afraid that he would ask me the same question. He would ask me, why? Why are so many millions of people from the nations dying? And what are you doing about it? You see, our theme in Missions Month is the light of the world. And in our text, chapter 8, verse 12, and chapter 9, and verse 5, Jesus says twice, kind of as bookends to this section, that he is the light of the world. And for Jesus to say, I'm the light of the world, is synonymous with him saying that he is on mission. And his mission is a one where light invades darkness. And that is the very beginning of this gospel. And he sets the tone for the theme of the entire gospel when he says with creation motif and theme at the beginning that God is the light of the world. And he says Jesus was the light who came into the world and he gives light to everyone. And he was the life and the life was the light of men, John 1, 4. And this is what he says at the very beginning. And the light shines in the darkness, listen, and the darkness did not overcome it. That is missions. That is the mission that Jesus was on. He was light and there was darkness and he went to the darkness and he overcame it. That's his mission. And so he says of himself in chapter 1 and verse 9 of John's gospel that he is the true light. All the other lights that have ever been created or made that are in the Bible, they all symbolize or point to him. And he alone is the light who has the ability to overcome darkness. Listen to the theme. Just listen to me. Listen to the theme of darkness in John's gospel. Chapter 3 and verse 19, when Jesus talks to Nicodemus, he says, but here's the problem. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. When they are on the boat, and the storm was ravaging them, and they thought they were going to die. It said that when they were out on the water in chapter 6 and verse 17, that it was now dark, and the evils of the surface of the, I mean, of the sea were upon them, and it was dark. Chapter 8 and verse 12 and 9 and verse 5, we know Jesus says that he is the light of the world. And then he says, because of that, you don't have to walk in darkness. And then he says in chapter 12 and verse 35, while you have the light, walk in the light lest the darkness overtake you. Judas got up from the table at the Lord's Supper and went out to betray Jesus. And the little phrase is added at the end of the verse in 1330. It says, and it was night. He was part of the darkness. The resurrection day, and when they come to the tomb, here's the description and they came to the tomb while it was still dark. See, when Jesus is in the de- dead and in the tomb, see, it looks like darkness has overcome him. But the reality, as we all know as believers, is that Jesus died and rose again. See, he did. He finished his mission. And you know what it was? He overcame the darkness. And he did it with the light of his life. And so when we get to our text, can you look with me? In the very middle. We're going to start in the middle and then build around it. Because this is the grid. I want to call verses 4 and 5 the power grid of missions. Jesus says in chapter 9 and verse 4, 
he re- it reads, We must work the works of him who sent me. Sent me is used over 50 times. It's a missions term. Jesus was sent on mission by the Father. I must work, we must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. See the night and darkness, the night theme of creation while because night is coming darkness is coming and no one will be able to work he says as long as i'm in the world i am the light of the world the theme of jesus having a mission of must look at the text i must he says we must is what his mission is all about that word must is used all throughout john's gospel jesus said to nicodemus in chapter 3 and verse 7 you must be born again Jesus said to the woman, he said of the woman at the well in chapter 4 and verse 4, I must go through Samaria. We must worship him in spirit and truth. Chapter 9 and verse 4, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said in 10, 16, other sheep who are not of this fold, I must bring them, he says. Chapter 20 and verse 9, it says at the end that the disciples didn't know that he must rise from the dead. See, there's an urgency of this mission. Jesus knew how awful and how damaging eternally that darkness was. And he says, I have to go. See, when you're on mission with Jesus, you talk to religious people, Nicodemus. You talk to the woman at the well who is anything but religious. She's immoral. You talk to people who have physical problems, the blind man, because whether it's a religious sinfulness or darkness, moral darkness, physical darkness, most of all spiritual darkness, here's what Jesus knew as the light, that people were in darkness and he had to go to them. That is the power grid. That's why our churches are failing. We are not connected to the power grid of being on mission, a mission of must with Jesus. Can you look in the text? Because in the text, two things go together, and if you're not careful, you'll miss them. Jesus' I must is connected to his I am. He says, I must do the, I must go, and I, I must work the works of him who sent me. But what drove him? Where, he said, Pastor Walker, I don't have that must. I don't feel that urgency. Every day I don't wake up and say, who am I going to talk to about Jesus? I don't feel that. I don't do that. I, I, but I know I should. Why don't I? Because you've never connected who you are to what you do. Jesus did. He says, you know who I am? That's a God name. He says, I am the light of the world. And because of who I am, here's what I must do. See, his I am was connected to his I must. Because that's what he had to do. It's who he was. He was light. See, church, listen, you know what we need to think? Matthew 5, 14 says, not only is Jesus the light of the world, but listen to what he tells his disciples. You are the light of the world. You are the light of the world. And you don't hide the light under a bushel. No, because what Jesus is, is what we are. See, if he's the light, we're the light. In John's gospel, chapter 12 and verse 36, Jesus says, walk in the light that you might become sons of the light. You see, Jesus says, if you're part of the light, you're in the family of light. And if the Father, through Jesus, is shining, he wants to shine through your life as well. So who are you this morning? Do you know the main identity of who you are is not that you're a student or a parent or a a wife or a husband or a father or a mother or a worker or an executive or a teacher or a pastor? Do you you, you know who your main identity is? Light. 
It's who Jesus is. And that derives and gives you your identity. And the power failure and the blackout in the world is because we are not living connected to that God grid. Too many Christians have no power in their evangelism or missions because they're not living out who they are every single day. And when you are connected, and you say, Pastor Walker, how will I know if I'm really connected to God's power grid? See, when you're connected to God's grid, missions and evangelism will not be something nice that you do. It'll be something necessary that you do. Missions and evangelism will not be something I might do or I may do, but I must do. It'll be what you think about, and there won't be a day go by that someone that you don't pray for who's lost or that you're trying to set up a lunch with or get to know so that you can evangelize them. Is that true for you? Is that true for me? Does your connection result in a reflection? Do you find the urgency of reaching people who are blind to the gospel something that is on your heart and mind on a daily basis? Or is it just something nice that you fit in when the church sponsors an event? Are we on the mission of must with Jesus? You see, can I put it to you plainly and why Pastor Dave and I stress D group so much? Because this passage about being sent and missions and living on mission of must with Jesus is a discipleship lesson. Can you see it in the beginning verse in chapter 9 and verse 1? It says, he passed by and saw a blind man from birth. And in verse 2 it says, and his disciples asked him, this is a Q&A between Jesus as the rabbi, and in fact, they call him rabbi. This is Jesus talking to disciples. This is a live lab lecture, so to speak. He's walking by, they see this blind man, and he, they, they're going to have a talk about it because that's what they normally did. Can I tell you, so, you know how you get to live on the mission? You need to be discipled. You need to be in a group. You need someone to keep you accountable because you, are, you and I know, listen, are we honest? If, it, if we're left to ourselves, is it possible that weeks could go by and months could go by, God forbid, years go by, and we can't think of the last person that we ever had a relationship with or we ever gave the gospel to? Is that true for us? And if that's true, we can sit and make ourselves feel guilty or we can do something about it. We can get in a group of people who have decided to do the same thing that we do, live like the rabbi, live like the master, and give the gospel out, and we need someone. We need someone to keep us accountable for it, and that's what this text is about. It says Jesus passes by. If you read the chapter 8 of John, at the beginning and the end of the chapter, you'll find that Jesus has been teaching in the temple, and it's been very controversial and very argumentative with the religious leaders and the Pharisees. And so at the end of chapter 8, he leaves the temple and he walks out. And if you know anything about the temple complex, he walks out the southern exit or the gate and he's walking down a hill to what is called the Pool of Siloam. If you want to look at Israel archaeology, they just found the Pool of Siloam not too many years ago and they've dug it out and they've seen that where the pool is and how big it was. And it was very big. There's a lot of mikvahs in Israel, little tiny Bass that you would walk in, maybe five or six. But this, this was big. This was as big almost as this room. It was a big pool. And a lot of people gathered there. And a lot of people who needed to be healed gathered there. And Jesus is passing by. And he wants to see, he sees this blind man. And with it, he's going to teach, listen, his disciples and all who follow Jesus today this lesson. There's two lessons. Two discipleship lessons about being on mission of must with Jesus. Here's how you have to do it. Number one, you must learn to see people like Jesus did. 
Simple. You must learn to see people how Jesus did. Now, I want you to look at verses 1 and 2. The disciples saw the blind man, the same blind man that Jesus did. But they did not see him, hear me, they did not see him the same way that Jesus did. They see the blind man and they ask Jesus a theological question. They look at this blind man as an object of theological debate. And they want to say, hey, hey, who sinned? Was it this man or his parents? If you read later on in chapter 9, the Pharisees hold the same view. When he starts rebuking the Pharisees in verse 34, here's what the blind man says. They they say, of the blind man, I should say. How can you teach us anything? You were born in sin. So it was the common belief of the day theologically that if you were lame or you were blind or you had some sort of physical defect or handicap or, what, or disability, you know what? They said you must, be a, you must have sinned and done something awful. Or if you were born with it, your parents must have done it and they passed that on to you as a result. And the disciples look at the blind man and you know how they see him? They see him as an object of theological debate. Like, is he one of God's elect? Is he chosen? As great as those doctrines are, that's how some people see lost people. But you read the Gospel of John for yourself. Jesus saw people differently. He saw Nathaniel under the tree, and how he saw him change Nathaniel's life. He saw the invalid who was by the pool of Bethesda, and he was sitting there for the last 38 years. But Jesus saw him differently than just a crippled man. Jesus saw Mary weeping at the tomb. He saw Mary, his mother, at the foot of the cross and took care. See, when Jesus sees people, he sees them differently. They are not just objects of theological debate. They're not not just discussions that we can have or people that we are appalled by. And you say, Paul, yes. Have you ever heard anyone say, God forbid, maybe you've said it. How in the world can they have all those tattoos? Look at the piercings. Oh my goodness, how do they even eat their lunch with that thing on their tongue? You've never said that, right? Look at how she's dressed. I can tell how she was brought up. Look at how he's acting. His parents need to get their act together. See, when we look at people, all we can see is the outside. All we can see is things that we think are negative and things that we can't explain or We think that they must have this going wrong in their life. And we see, like the disciples, that they're just sinners. They're just people who did wrong, and someone must have done wrong, whether them or their parents. And it's some sort of theological issue only. But that's not how Jesus saw him. Jesus said, there's three things that Jesus knew about this man. Number one, he was a blind man. Simply, the Bible says he saw a blind man. Did you know physically, every 20 minutes... Every 20 minutes, that's three people while we're in this service today, go completely blind in America. 50,000 people go blind annually in our country. 20 million people in the last number of years have lost their sight. People were polled and said, if there's any sense that you have, of all the senses that you have, which one would you like to lose the least? And they said their eyes. If, if they, they would keep their sight above every other sense that there is. You know why? Because we don't like to be dark in darkness. You know why? Because it makes us alone. Close your eyes right where you are. Close your eyes. Close them really tight. Okay? Now I'm going to count to a thousand. No, I'm not. You can open them. How would you like that to be what you've seen and all you've ever seen your entire life. 
Can you imagine? This man was blind, but listen, he was born blind. Born blind, the day out of his mother's womb, he never saw his mother. He's never seen her face, never. He never saw any siblings he might have had. He's never had sight. And it wasn't a matter of depravity, it was a matter of disability. That was the cause of it. It was congenital. It was the way he was. He didn't know anything different than that. He never saw a sunrise or a sunset. He's never, he never saw people who might have cared about him. Get this, he's never even seen himself. He doesn't even know what he looks like. And the Bible says that that's how he's been, however many years old he was. And then in verse 8, here's what it says. Not only is he blind, but born blind, but verse 8 says because of it, he's a beggar. Do you see the picture that is being painted in John's gospel? You see, physically, the guy is an outcast. And by listen to this. And you know, if you are blind, according to Leviticus 21 and 8, you cannot draw near. In other words, you're not allowed to go in the temple. You're not allowed to worship with other people. You know why? Because you are born in sin, and you are, and here's the word it used in Hebrew, defect. You are defective. You're less than everybody else. You're inferior. You don't measure up. You are less than everybody else. And we want you to know because when everybody else leaves their house to go to the temple, you can't go. So by the pool of Siloam, it's as close as he can get because he can't go through the gates. He can't go through the courts. He can't offer his sacrifices. So physically, he's an outcast. Religiously, he's an outcast. And socially, he's an outcast because everyone has turned their back on him. And guess what? He doesn't have any money. He's a beggar. He barely scrapes by on the generosity of people who basically feel sorry for him and throw him a few coins so that he can actually get something to eat. He probably never goes home because he doesn't have a home. And so he's there blind by the pool of Siloam all the time. He's been excluded. He has no hope of ever changing because he has no money for a doctor. He doesn't have insurance. He's not going to have a copay because he has no pay. Why does John's gospel go through all of this? Because this blind man is a picture of all of us as sinners. See, we're all born into lifelong darkness Not because we're blind or have a disability, but because we've sinned. See, we are sinners by birth and by choice. We have absolutely nothing to offer Jesus. He couldn't give Jesus any money. He couldn't pay him. He couldn't earn it because he was nothing. He was blind, born that way, and a beggar. He had nothing to offer. Listen to this. But the difference between him and so many spiritually blind people in our world is he knew what he was. He knew. Verse 32 says, here's what the blind man says. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. He knew that nobody could do that. It was an impossibility. He was in a situation that he could not change or reverse by himself. He couldn't be good enough. He couldn't work for it. He couldn't change it. He couldn't pay for it. No, this is how he would live, how he'd be born, and this is how he dies. He's outside the temple, he's outside society, and he's outside of God. And if you didn't know it this morning, that's you and me. You and me, apart from Jesus, that's where we are. We are born in it, we choose it, we live in it, 
And if it's not for the grace of God, we will die in it. But Jesus passes by, and unlike his disciples, he didn't just see a man in darkness. He saw a man whose darkness could be overcome by Jesus' light. Helen Keller was born on June 27, 1880. She was born normally, had no disabilities or anything, but when she was 19 months old, she got scarlet fever. And it left her deaf and blind. And she would be that way the rest of her life. As just a baby, really, she couldn't see anyone or hear anyone. And that's how it remained for six years until she was almost eight years old, until she met Annie Sullivan. Annie Sullivan was known simply as the teacher. And she was hired to work with Helen Keller on a daily basis. And Helen Keller wrote a book called an autobiography called The Story of My Life. And she would say how Annie Sullivan came into her life and it changed her forever. Let me read you Helen Keller's words of the impact that Annie Sullivan had on her life. Have you ever been at sea in a dense fog when it seemed as if a tangible white darkness shut you in and the great ship, tense and anxious, groped her way toward the shore, and you waited with beating heart for something to happen? I was like that ship before my education began. Only I was without compass or sounding line and had no way of knowing how near the harbor was. Listen to this. Light, give me light, was the wordless cry of my soul, and the light of the love of Annie Sullivan shone on me in that very hour. Here's what a person who is blind and in darkness by themselves, you know what they cry? Light. Give me light. Annie Sullivan brought a kind of light, not a physical light, but the light of her love into Helen Keller's life and changed it forever. Do you see people that way? Do you see them in their darkness? Do you hear them? Do you hear their soul's wordless cry? Light, give me light. All around you, people in the cubicle working next to you, your neighbors next door, people that you walk by, they need the light of the love of Jesus Christ to shine into their hearts. But it never will if you don't learn to see people how Jesus did. So the first discipleship lesson is that, and as I close, the second one is this. Not only do you have to learn to see the people as Jesus did, you have to learn to get close to people like Jesus did. There are seven I am statements, and you might be familiar with this, in the Gospel of John. I am the light of the world is the sixth of the seventh. They are acted out parables of deeper spiritual realities. In the temple complex, during the feast of the festival, um, that was happening in Jesus' time right here in these chapters, there was a lighting of the lampstands. The lampstands were higher than our church building. There were four of them in each corner of the complex of the courts of the temple. And they had a ceremony, and they went through extravagant details to light these gigantic lights. And if anywhere you were in Jerusalem, these lights were so huge that it practically you could see them from anywhere in the surrounding area of Jerusalem and the temple. They were that big and that bright. I don't know for sure, But as Jesus walks down to the pool of Siloam, looks back up at the temple complex, sees the blind man, and here's what he says. You know who I am? I am the light of the world. 
You see these lampstands? You think these are God's lights? They only point to me, to a deeper spiritual reality, because those lights will never change your blindness, but I can. I am the light of the world. And in the very verse before chapter 9, in 859, Jesus says, before Abraham was, listen, I am. I am is God's name. When Moses was at the burning bush, he said, I am who I am. That's God's name. That's who he is. So Jesus is saying this, I'm God. I'm transcendent. I'm the creator. I'm the one who made lights. All lights point to me, and I'm God. And based on the fact that he's saying I'm the light of the world as God, here's what you think would happen next. You think that John's gospel would read this, and radiant light of the glory of God shone out of Jesus, and the man's blindness was gone. It doesn't say that. It doesn't say that Jesus just spoke the words, and light came out, and his blindness and darkness was gone. He could have done that because he healed people from distances. He healed people by just saying, but he doesn't do that. Do you know God himself, God, very God, the creator of the world, you know what the Bible says he does next? He spat on the ground, verse 6, and he made mud with saliva, and he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Can I tell you? That's God. What does it mean for Jesus to be the light of the world? Genesis chapter 2, God's creating everything. Day 1, day 2, day 3, day 4, day 5, the animal, the sea, the, everything, the sun, the moon, this, all the animals, the, the world. He creates everything. And you know what he's been doing the whole time? And God said, and God said, and, let there be light, and light came. And he keeps speaking it. And God said, and it comes. But when it comes to day 6, and he makes man, you know what the Bible says? That he gets down the ground and takes the dust of the ground and forms man. And it says he blows his breath into the nostrils of Adam. He doesn't say, and God said anymore. You know what the term now is, the verb is? And God formed. You know why? Because our God, the creator God, the infinite God, the transcendent God, has chosen to come close. He has chosen to come into our world He didn't just say the words and stay at a distance. He came up close and put his hands on us and his breath into us. He made us, but the infinite God became close, and he comes close to this man. First time he got close to man, man was sinless. This time he gets close to man, and man is sinful. Why? Because this is what it means to be the light of the world. For Jesus and for you. Because light chooses to get close to darkness. That's how it works. It doesn't stay out of the darkness and speak things into it only. It gets close to it. A.W. Milne was one of the missionaries that were called one-way missionaries. And the reason that they were called one-way missionaries is because they packed all their earthly belongings when they left to go wherever God called them into a coffin. And the reason they packed their stuff and, and traveled with a coffin is because they never intended coming back. Because wherever they went, they were going to stay the rest of their lives, and they would be buried in that coffin, so they took it with them. And that was A.W. Milne. He went to an island called the New Hebrides, and the missionaries that had been there before him had been killed by cannibals. But A.W. Milne had packed his bags, and he wasn't afraid of the darkness. And he stayed on the island of New Hebrides for 35 years. 
When he came there, most people were lost. And when he died, most people were saved. And so the people that he had won over all those years by getting close to them wrote this on his tombstone. When he came here, there was no light. When he left here, there was no darkness. That is what it means to be like Jesus. Will they say that when you leave your job? When you die and leave your family behind, will they have seen your light? How about your neighborhood? How about your friends that you rub shoulders with every day? Will they say the darkness was gone from my life because of the light that you shone into theirs? See, you have to get close for the darkness to make a difference in the light. And certainly Jesus got close. He did. He got close to people. And, and, and so close. Here's what he says to this man. Now, now and, and let me just talk to lost people before I close. Real quick, if you don't know Jesus and you're debating whether you're a Christian or not, Jesus says to this man, he puts mud. Now watch. Jesus is going to heal him, so he puts mud on his eyes. He, he, he didn't see before, so this isn't changing anything there. But he tells the man as he puts this mud on it, and that after Jesus has spit on it, he says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go over there, and I want you to wash, and you'll be able to see. Now, the guy would have said, what? You're who? And you can do what? And this is how you want me to... Can I tell you this? If you're going to get saved, if the light of Jesus will dispel your darkness, you have to drop your conditions. I'd get saved, and, but Jesus, you want me to do what? You, he, you died on the cross for me? That's how I'm saved? You forgive my, you rose from the dead? I don't know. Can I believe? See, you've got conditions this morning. You're blind. You can't see the truth. And Jesus wants to shine the light of the gospel into your life. But you have conditions. And you'd say, oh, I don't know if I can. And look at me with mud on my face. And I'm going to walk over there. And what if this doesn't happen? And it never really works. And I come back and I'm just as blind. See, you've got all these conditions about what Jesus can and can't, may or may not do, and what will be. And See, three times in John's gospel, Jesus commands someone to go. This man, the adulterous woman, he said, go and sin no more. See, when Jesus changes you, the official son, he said, you know what? Go home because your son is well. He couldn't see it. He just had to go home believing. And when Jesus says go, you know what he's saying? Trust me. Let your drop, drop your guard. Drop your defenses. Drop your conditions. Put your faith and trust in me. If you've never done that, you can do that this morning. If you sit here this morning in darkness, Jesus wants the light of the gospel to shine into your heart and change you. And can I tell you this? Here's what he's saying. Go. Go see the pastor. Go talk to one of your friends. Let them show you how you from the Bible, you can see. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. Saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. That could be your testimony. It's missions month, so let me just close with this. No one since the beginning of the world had ever opened the eyes of a blind man. Jesus did. Now, if you're his disciple, here's the last lesson. Extra bonus. You know, there are only two other times in all of Scripture where it said someone who had a disability from birth, that phrase from birth, or ever used. It's used of Jesus, and you know what the other two are? In the book of Acts. Acts chapter 3 and verse 2. The man who was lame from birth. Sitting outside the temple when Peter and John walk up to it to pray. 
And the other one is Acts 14 and 8, when the man was crippled from birth. And you know who healed them? Do you know who healed these people that were crippled and lame from birth? Jesus' disciples. Peter and John in one instance and the apostle Paul in the other. You know why I bring that up? Because you can do what Jesus did. I don't mean heal physically blindness. You can shine light in darkness. You can reach people in a greater miracle than that. You can reach people who are spiritually blind, and God can use you to change their lives. you know why? Because every disciple should say, I can do it if my master did it. I can change people whose whole life they've been blind to him. And God can use you. But as his disciple, here's what you, get connected to the power grid. Get connected by walking with him and being his disciple and desiring to be like him every single day so that you can live on mission, the mission of must with him. Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, can I talk to God's people first this morning? Are you on the mission of must with Jesus? I mean, is it a must? Is it nice or is it necessary? Is it maybe or is it must? But maybe it's because no one's keeping you accountable. No one's pushing you. And you don't feel that urgency. And you live out your day, not because you're doing bad things, good things. But you've left off the best thing. Living on mission with Jesus. Would there be Christians here this morning who say... Pastor Walker, listen, I want to be used like that. I want God to use me to open people's spiritual eyes out of blindness and darkness into his glorious light. I, lo- I want that. And maybe the answer is that you just sign up for a D group. Maybe you said in your heart, I need to be in a D group because I need to be like Jesus. I need to be on mission with him. And every head bowed, every, would you say, Pastor Walker, here's my hand, pray for me. I want that. My life is too far gone. Too many years have gone by, and I can't even tell you the last person I've engaged in ministry or in the gospel. I, I want that to change for his glory. Would you just say thank you for your hand? Appreciate it. In the balcony, the main floor, anyone, just slip your hand up, and I'm going to pray for you. That's, do we need a church who's be a light together, the plural pronoun. You're the light of the world. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Would there be someone here this morning who say, Pastor Walker, listen, I'm not sure that I even have the light. By all means, by all, I just think this morning, perhaps I'm in darkness. I didn't realize how bad my sin is and how much I need Jesus, but I do this morning. And I don't want to be blind to him and the truth of the gospel. I don't want to be blind to my sin. I want to know him. I want the light of the world to flood my darkness so that I could be saved. Would you just slip your hand up too and I'll pray for you this morning? And maybe Jesus is telling you, go, go to the pastor, go to the one of the deacons, go to someone you know at church, let them show you how your eyes can see. Would you raise your hand? I'll pray for you this morning. Anyone? Father, thank you that Jesus is God. And he not only is transcendent, but he's imminent. He got up close, and he still breathes life and shines light into people's lives, into their darkness. I don't know what darkness people are facing or fighting today, but you do. And I know that you have the power to overcome it. 
I pray that you would so, you would do so in their lives. And for the believers who raise their hand, Father, help them to take the next step today about being a disciple like their master who shines your light. That we might be on mission, the mission of must with you. And we'll praise you for that in Christ's name. Amen. We're going to close.